0: Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: Hello, Meg here, and you're listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan, a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, and we are one day away from Thursday's bronze medal match between the United States and Australia, and the gold medal match between Sweden and Canada. Reminder, if you are here in the United States, you will be watching both of those games on USA Network, Uh, USA versus Australia, again, 4 a.m. Eastern. Sweden versus Canada, 10 p.m. Eastern. There has been a request to actually move the game because of the conditions with the heat. So stay tuned on that front. I'm sure there will be an update on Twitter if that request from Sweden and Canada is actually successful. Anyway, co-worker and fellow dog. So tattoo haver Jeff Ruder is here to help me on our final match day minus one episode of our Olympics coverage. Yes, we are coming to the end of this long, long journey. Before we get into it, subscribe to The Athletic for all of our women's soccer coverage and beyond. There's always a deal for you at theathletic.com slash full-time. Hello, Jeff. I'm hey, Meg. <laughs> all right, so it's Wednesday. I got to wake up at 3 o'clock, well, 2.55 a.m. to be on the press conference for the U.S. Women's National Team ahead of the bronze medal match. Steph, our fellow co-worker, woke up, or I think just actually stayed awake because Australia was at 1.15 a.m., U.S. Oh. was at 3 a.m. and they were actually 15 minutes late. So which guests, NWSL
2: so. team is going to say, you know what, this is the new normal. Our <laughs> press conferences are at 3 a.m.
1: Please, please, Lord, no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can I can see someone being like, yeah, that feels like a great plan. Um,
2: <laughs> at least for the next month. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, you guys are already in, in this zone of 3 a.m. press conferences. We might as well Oof. just roll with it. Um, Brutal. So, as someone who is maybe not like you know first time on on this Olympic edition of the podcast you've you've been following along just kind of what is your perspective of the u s women's national team been throughout this tournament because I find it really interesting to talk to people that I haven't been talking to kind yeah. of every day about yeah. what's going on it's
2: I mean this in the nicest way possible. It is very strange to have a tournament where even my most casual, like only watch women's and men's national team games, don't follow NWSL, WSL, don't follow MLS, don't really wake up for the Premier League. It's very strange to have conversations with these people and they know the entire roster. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's the same (laughs) roster. And so they, they still have these preconceptions of like, oh, why would you not start Megan Rapinoe? In every single game, why would you not? It, it's very interesting to have some of those conversations, but I mean, it's it just hasn't been <laughs> enjoyable to watch. And I know this is something that you, Steph, and Yuki are uh, are, are three-headed uh, <laughs> columnist monsters. I mean,
1: Yuki, Yuki Nagasato should always be listened to, but I th- I think it was really interesting Of she had kind of diagnosed the problem really... Mm-hmm early right and i think we got confirmation of that from mega rapino but yeah it it is so weird to having gone to the games in texas and in connecticut right and i just i don't like <laughs> did that disallowed goal curse this team right because there was so <laughs> much focus on like that's it that's it that's it they found it they've got it right like right. look at the like Yes, it's stupid that it didn't count, but like that is kind of the platonic ideal of the U.S. Women's National Team. And then I mean, this is what we've gotten instead.
2: It just looks like a to me, it looks like a coach who overthought pretty much every decision and thought I have this assembly of players who have one gold in another tournament. And so I will copy paste them in with a more pragmatic style, which in theory wins tournaments for club and for country. And this should be a no brainer, forgetting that a lot of what made them so good in 2019 was the verve factor (laughs) and the simple, I like playing these games. And I feel like if you're going to be in, if you're going to be in a stadium without fans, just try random shenanigans on the field. Honestly, just like, what? who cares? You're not gonna get booed. You're not gonna have people like loudly questioning, what are you doing? And there's been none of that, right? And so, uh, yeah, it's been, I don't know, it, it definitely hasn't been a vintage. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it also is a credit to the advancements that I think a lot of people, even in 2019, weren't really acknowledging across other federations across the world where everyone yeah. was like, yeah, but <laughs> it's the United States. And, and it, it yeah. kind of came to roost, honestly, except for like a quick scare against France in 2019. Um, well, I think
1: Spain was actually the game where it really felt like, oh, oh, <laughs> this game is not <laughs> this game is not going to plan. Like, right. that is the game that I remember being in person. And I was sitting next to, to Andy Doss from the New York Times. And yeah. I just remember looking at him and I was like, Am I annoying you? Because I feel very tense right now. And he's like, <laughs> I can't tell. And I was like, Great. That's what I'm actually going for right at the yeah, moment because <laughs> I am internally losing my shit right now. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it that is, I mean, I, I think. 2019, I remember the the guide that I wrote. Like it was kind of the concept of this is the most competitive World Cup ever, and I think that that played out in certain ways, but was not necessarily the case for the U.S. Women's National Team. Yeah. And then this Olympics, right? Like, I don't know. It's it is. I think you have to put it in context of other tournaments, but also I think that there's so much different with this one that it is impossible to just kind of say this is a direct continuation when there are so many kind of like multiple asterisks right. <laughs> around it of like covid year delay uh, you know all of these things piling up but i think it is the same players it is a different head coach i think overthinking is kind of a a good way of putting it because i think some of the roster rotation and this like who's in the 18 who's out of the 18 right like this team was very used to kind of consistency across starting 11s and stuff and and i think that that has been an adjustment and like i think mentally you can say like well that makes sense like that's a a good way to play a tournament with such tight turnarounds and these kinds of conditions—all that—like you can see the logic, but then it doesn't pan out.
2: But you don't have to like the logic, and and you don't I think, have to
1: like the logic. Yeah, sure.
2: Do, what do you think if they had snuck past Canada? Penalty call goes the opposite direction. Okay, they're they're here for. The, are we having all of these conversations? Do you think at a broader
0: level? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone.
1: I mean, I think, yes, but we're feeling less <laughs> anxious about them. <laughs> I think okay. what's really interesting, too, is I just, you know, I went back to read some of the, like, really early stuff that I wrote when Kate Markgraf got hired, when Vlako Andonovsky got hired. Mm. I remember having this long conversation with Kate Markgraf, and she's like, you know, everybody's really happy with me right now because everything's going really well. But what happens when we start to actually get challenged, right? Like, this is not going to last forever, Yeah, And we are, like, we're not going to win forever. So what happens when there's, like, legitimate problems that need to be fixed? Right. Like, and I think that's why, I don't know, the more I've I've gotten from the, the Canada game, like, I just think the more patient I've gotten because this is not a thing that I think has to be rushed, but also I think we are looking at a period and a cycle coming up where there are going to be Failures, yeah, and that we're gonna that needs to be embraced. <laughs> because yeah, because it's not going to be this this perfect sale anymore. There are going to be losses. There are gonna be mistakes made. There are gonna be times where you're gonna have to prioritize development ahead of results. That is not something that we're necessarily yeah. used to with the U.S. Women's National Team.
2: Definitely not. But we've seen these. You know, on the men's side, you talk about golden generations a lot. And I think with the U.S. women's national team, no one talks about it because it'd be hard to pick just one. But (laughs) it
1: just kind of keeps going.
2: (laughs) Right. But but I think that what you've seen with coaches like Jill, like Pia, like they were really good at phasing out veterans in a way that wasn't like disrespectful it wasn't this thing where it's just like okay the tournament's done and now whatever and sometimes there are exceptions i I see the face and now i'm suddenly remembering (laughs) some of these names that you're gonna bring at me but i think
1: that (laughs) yeah i mean some of it is player retirement but yeah 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 yeah. i mean i think that that has always been a long discussion that we've had with the u.s women's national team is Hmm. the phasing in and out yeah because i mean you think about I think Hope Solo is one of the best examples. Yes,
2: yes, that was the name that
1: of the plans (laughs) not being there, right? And it's tough with goalkeepers, but yeah, I mean, I I think that this has been an ongoing kind of existential question Mm -hmm. about the U.S. Women's National Team is just if you if this team is so deep, right? Yeah, (laughs) how do you how do you manage all of this? And I, I mean. I just think about Allie Krieger in the twenty nineteen World Cup getting so much shit because she said a US women's national team B team could compete in this tournament and advance, right? right. And and people took great offense to that. But it was not necessarily a, a slight on other teams. It was just okay, but we have so so many people vying for this team. Yeah. That at yeah. what point do you like how do you manage all of these things?
2: I think that there's going to be a very interesting non-sporting factor of the marketability of some of this, like, over 30 generation. I don't think that you've ever seen quite as much uh, mileage that the Federation has been able to get from its own players, even with all of the litigation that's been going on in the background. And so I think that, you know, it, it will be like, how do you pivot away from the players that you've been featuring for a decade or whatever, your goal scorers, your stoppers, and how do you move on to the next wave, right? And, and how do you actually bring them up when you as a federation aren't giving them the opportunities to develop at a young age, but now suddenly you're, you're trying to kind of throw that responsibility of being the face of the program on. Um, there are obvious players who are younger who should be just fine to kind of carry Uh, carry that baton into the next cycle as we're looking ahead to 2023 now, but um, I don't think it's going to be a comfortable process. And it will be very interesting to see, you know, should some of that have been done before this tournament, probably at least in one or two cases. But I think that as you and Steph went through the roster before the tournament, it was like, nothing really is a surprise Yeah, I mean, I think that
1: there's a difference between, (laughs) this was so much of it too, like, yeah, I can give you my 18, right? But fundamentally, what we're seeing out of the Federation is like, there's not really going to be a lot of surprises that this is going to be a conservative roster, right? Like Tobin Heath and, and Julie Ertz were kind of the big question marks, yeah, but also... They're not really, like, if they are even remotely. Also, the fact that we we didn't see Julie Ertz, like, really <laughs> at all for a couple of months before the Olympics, she doesn't really play, and then all of a sudden, now she's just like, okay, back to being <laughs> the yeah. Iron Woman of this midfield. Just perfect, classic Julie Ertz. Yes, yeah, truly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Our, I had a, a so, couple of other questions for you, too, actually, sure. about covering this tournament. Um, okay. How... what are are the biggest differences that you've felt? Well, because at first, I I don't know how much you've talked about this. Like at first you were planning on going to Tokyo and then the world said no. And (laughs) (laughs) how different has that been uh, in terms of your uh, ability to cover and find the storylines around this team compared to when you were actually boots on the ground with them?
1: I mean, I think, it's definitely different because obviously the access is very different, right? And we're doing press conferences at 1 a.m., 3 a.m., right? And so the access is is always very different just because when we were in France on the ground, like, yes, you're still kind of limited to the players that they give you, but also, you know, it's a mix zone, so you can kind of hop around and you can grab different players and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I do think that in this olympics anyway the storylines have been kind of forced <laughs> no matter yeah. what like you know you're writing kind of what is going wrong the entire time anyway yeah. so in terms of the actual coverage i think this is a much more straightforward approach to mm. the actual games and i think the olympics are always going to be different than the world cup where the world cup it is just the game and then with olympics you're kind of competing with everything else so it is definitely different. I am definitely already kind of like, wow, I'm very ready for 2023 <laughs> and to <laughs> do this in a very different way. But I think in some ways, the NWSL Challenge Cup was kind of a good preparation just because of mm. remote access and like mm. having your questions had to, like, you have to submit your questions for some of these press conferences in writing and you are trying to navigate how a written question is going to be interpreted by someone who is not you to a player or a coach in a press conference. like So oh, there is some way. of that stuff that <laughs> there's at least some experience to pull from, but it is definitely not ideal conditions. But even if I were in Japan, it would not be mm. ideal conditions. I mean, honestly, this this press conference with Vlako Andonofsky and AD French last night 3 a.m. It was 4 p.m. local time, but everyone is still in Tokyo. They take buses out to this venue, so there was exactly mm. one person actually in the room for this press conference, and it was like a guy from FIFA.com who got four questions in, and all of them were <laughs> a little weird. So <laughs> uh, It was definitely just a weird vibe, but that's that's been the tournament.
2: Would you say that the... I, I think weird vibe is a very good summation of this tournament. Yeah. Um but would you say that in more is this a tournament where the the closed door thing impacted the United States more than other countries?
1: I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think everybody's mm. kind of off put by it, but I don't think it's really helping, but I don't, like, in terms of, so, I mean, my piece after the last thing was kind of like this root cause analysis, right? Right, of like, yes,
2: with the hand-drawn and charts I think and
1: everything. That, yeah, 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 and I think that it's a factor, but it's not necessarily a contributing factor, but I mm. think, again, like, the vibe has been weird, mm. and I don't think that helps, because- yeah. I think that the team really does actually kind of feed off energy, whether it's mm. positive or negative. I mean, I think that was one of the really interesting things about France and that quarterfinal against France and Paris. They're not used to having a crowd that is not in their favor. And I think that actually worked in their favor in a very yeah. weird way. Like they're not used to being like the villain in the it's story. Totally. And I I think that there's something that teams feed off of. I mean, that's kind of something that we've heard consistently from the NWSL side, that teams love to play in Portland Mm. and they feed off of that energy. And so I think not having any energy (laughs) building at all is is weird for everyone, though.
2: I think it's weird for everyone, but I think for, like you said, I mean, the, the, just the seer notability of the team for, regardless if you're a neutral fan who only loosely follows soccer, if you're a fan who follows the tournament and your country isn't playing in this case, I think that the U S is such an easy team to latch onto and have a strong opinion on, um, which is the sign of pretty much (laughs) any great sports team is you can have a strong opinion about them, regardless how often you watch them uh, for better or for worse. And uh yeah, I, I feel like in that sense, yes, every single country would have loved to have more mm-hmm. fan support, but I think I, I think that it actually does impact the United States more, just because of the sheer scale of prominence that they have in this arena, the the amount of people who are aware of their players, who are aware of the the team, who would be able to to, to jump mm-hmm. in, even if they are more of a casual fan sort of thing. And I think in the absence of that, that's where you see. I mean that that to me is where like the fun also goes out the window because it's like okay, well, yeah. why am I having fun, right? It's <laughs> people get self conscious yeah. when they laugh and they're alone in a room, right? Like it's it's just like a simple thing where yeah, uh, you know, it, well that's it like when scale. when
1: leagues were coming back, right? And Bundesliga mm-hmm. was the first league back, and that was such a weird vibe. Like everybody was like, well, I guess I'll watch Bundesliga now, yeah. and then the vibe was so weird because there are no fans, and I think especially when you're in. Venues that are meant for Olympic play, right? Like they are in very big stadiums. Oh yeah, yeah. It is, it is a it is a weird scale thing happening.
2: Yeah, that's a lot of empty seats, and especially like I'm sure that it brings you back to like youth days where no one's there or whatever. I don't know. It's just like yeah, it it yeah weird vibe. Very weird vibe for the whole tournament. But I also yeah. at the same point, well, I do think it had an outside outsized impact. I think that like you said, it impacted everyone. That's not really a great excuse to say, well, if, if the stadiums had been full, we would be, you know, seeing the US go for the gold instead of the bronze. But I just
1: I mean, maybe that is though something if we're talking about joy for this team, mm-hmm. right? I think that is something that certainly at least helps joy happen, right? When you are getting that sort of feedback loop with yeah. a crowd. Right. Like that I think helps celebrations. It helps, you know, defensive like all of that kind of stuff. All like of if it. you have a crowd that is either affirming or <laughs> booing you, <laughs> again, there's energy there that can help feed into the energy of a game. Yeah. And I think if that's, you know, if if Megan Rapino's out here after the game saying like, you know, we're missing our joy, we don't have the juice, right? Like Again, there are a lot of there's gonna be a lot to look at in terms of coaching decisions in terms of execution, right like right. there's there's a lot to pick through again, I don't think we are gonna have nearly enough to like definitively from an outside point of view say like, <laughs> here's what went wrong, right yeah, but i yeah. I think like it has to be a factor
2: mm-hmm. it has to be um and, and I think that it's even just simple things as. You know, I've talked to players throughout the pandemic who have said, like, it's so much easier to just have five minutes where you're on autopilot in a game where it's not that you're necessarily like zoned out. You're not thinking about the game, but but it's that whole sort of like, I I mean, you know, you've done interviews where you're not really fully mentally present and it's been fine. You've gotten good answers from it. But like you were you were thinking about what was next. You were thinking about, okay, do I have time for lunch? It's (laughs) three afternoon, right? Like you've you've been in this space. Uh, and they do the same thing, right? And and for them, if you have those five minutes, that's where you run into a thing like a ball slips under your foot and you have to kind of quick track back to get the ball out and then an opponent's on rushing because they're not zoned out. And mm-hmm. and that is a thing that they have felt they are experiencing more in the absence of fans and also something then domestically in leagues where they've said less of an issue because now there are still some people. and And even if you just have... 30 percent of your usual crowd you don't really notice the scale it's just the volume so yeah it i, I yeah. think that there there also is some psychological factor to this in terms of you are used to playing for the big moment and now the big moment doesn't feel big
1: yeah yeah no i think i mean there's also gonna be that has been one of the main themes of this olympics too is mental health of athletes right yeah. And I think there's gonna be a lot to think about in terms of pressure put on the US and and that has obviously been a mantle that they have worn for a very long time. But now I think you get to maybe flip the question and say, How do you take the pressure off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the right? Like how, can you minimize that? Like is that actually a a, a blessing for this mm. team? Because right at the moment it sure does not feel like it. But also if you are now thinking of Okay, there's going to be this kind of changing of the guard and a lot of work ahead in mm. the cycle. And maybe your results are not necessarily going to be what you want, but you're going to prioritize development. Is there a way to take some of the pressure of win-loss records? Yeah. And ad- and adapt them and and say, what are what are we actually prioritizing? And I think that's a much bigger question and i think a much more helpful one rather than just like are they winning
2: right right or is this player ready to be the next the last (laughs) player at that position right 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 i don't think that's terribly productive way of framing all this stuff but i think you're right too is that now we're going to run into a a stretch without a major tournament right on the horizon like yeah qualifying is going to be starting sooner than it feels like it will be because that's life now but um it's it's not there there is hopefully a little more of this wiggle room to really look at league play to broaden the pool to find ways to get younger to find ways to not put so much pressure on your veterans to carry i mean it's, I, again i think of something like Julie it's like a phenomenal just kind of like return to form but also there's no reason that the only option at that position <laughs> yeah. should have been well we right. hope that after two months off she's still julie and she is still julie yeah i but mean
1: like- <laughs> Andre carlisle had a great tweet like i just really don't want this entire team success to hinge on one player's knees like yeah. which is fair yeah it's fair
2: It's so fair Um, and it's just how do you find a way to get around that? Right. And I think those are those are fun questions. I mean, from a coverage perspective, not fun questions from a team perspective. Uh, And certainly from a fan perspective, it's not always that fun, too, because it requires patience for success for a team, which recently has required no patience for success.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. Anthony DeChico had, I thought, a, a good thread as well, just in terms of like asking, why do we actually watch this team? Right. Mm. And like, yes, I'm paid to watch this team, but obviously (laughs) I watched this team before I was paid to watch this team. That's it. That's it. And I mean, his his main takeaway is like we watch it because it is fun and it makes us like feel emotions. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think even from like a, a fan viewer point of view, right? Like it was starting to kind of feel like a grind because everything was so High expectations. Yeah. Right. And and there's a lot of like pitting players against each other and all that. Like I think now everybody gets a chance to kind of take a step back and from from every point of view on this team. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff happening off of the field, obviously, with the appeal, CBA negotiations by the end of the year, like all of this kind of stuff. And there's weight on all of this, and there is weight for performances because unfortunately people feel like the performances then create the value that is part of the appeal right so there's a lot of weight (laughs) happening everywhere and now i think there is maybe an opportunity to take a step back and say how do you take some of this weight off everyone involved from the people watching at home to the players to the set like all of this kind of stuff of just what do we actually want This team to be, and I think that that's a a maybe healthier way (laughs) of going about it.
2: I think so. I mean, it serves as something of a palate cleanser, like the the weird, weird, flavorless like vacuum of a cracker that they give you at a winery (laughs) between pours, where they're like, "This will completely wipe you back to square one." And sometimes that's okay. Some like you would never choose that. You would never go to a store and buy a bag of those and sit down and you know snack on those (laughs) while you're watching anything. But You need those sometimes you need to be able to have those resets and to be able to say, Hey, like, even if this isn't going to be as good as the last thing, like it's still better. And, and, Mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes, like you said, it's expectation setting, it's pressure release. It's um, it's healthier that way. And, And I think that it's, it's, there's no shame in admitting that like the same group of players could not forever be, you know? And I think that there was some weird expectation there. There's been this clinging to normalcy over the last 18 months where everyone wanted a, another run like France. Cause that's what they remembered. And it's was like, I had a lot of fun with that. I, and mm-hmm. this is going to be more of that. Right. And so when it's not, you know, I think that everyone's expectations, everyone's hopes, they're failed to be met and it's, you know, how do you do something productive with that?
1: Yeah. I think that is a perfect place for us to stop. And we will now get to wait and see what happens tomorrow morning. (laughs) We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll find out. (laughs) All right, Jeff, thanks for popping on the pod. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for tuning in to our Olympic coverage here at Full Time with Meg Linehan. And thanks to Jeff for popping in on the pod. You can follow all of our Olympic coverage at The Athletic. You can support our women's soccer coverage by subscribing at theathletic.com slash full Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg. I'll be back with you tomorrow, of course, with Steph Young. Thanks for listening.